The rule of three states, things that come in threes, are inherently more appealing than those that don't. With the next generation GMC Sierra, Canyon, and Sierra Heavy Duty, we couldn't agree more. Whether you choose to have the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate, available only on the next generation GMC Sierra SLT, AT4, and Denali models, to confidently take on heavy loads with the available 6.6-liter V8 Duramax turbo diesel in the GMC Sierra Heavy Duty, or to get behind the wheel of the only mid-size premium pickup on the road, the GMC Canyon, you'll realize all three help you do one thing. Go professional grade. Step up to GMC and get 20% below MSRP on next-generation 2019 GMC Sierra Double Cab and SLE Crew Cab models with a traditional tailgate. We are professional grade. GMC. Offer includes price reduction below MSRP and purchase allowance. Not available with special financing lease and some other offers. Take retail delivery by 9319. See participating dealer for details. Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're about to listen to an episode of The Tour Coach, which is going to give you an inside look at coaching golf at the very highest level from on the PGA Tour with my guys all the way to here at Mobile, Alabama in the Dew Sweeper Dome as we help folks of all skill levels, all walks of life, learn to achieve their golfing goals. All right, sitting in with me here has to be the person that travels the most, logs the most miles out there teaching on the PGA Tour, Scott Hamilton. Hammy, what's up, man? Oh, what you doing, buddy? Shit, that time of year. I mean, it's cold. And like we were yeah. <laughs> like we were just talking before we started taping this thing, I mean, you get to kind of to the end of the year and end of the fall, and you feel like you're going to have some time off, but uh, I mean, it doesn't ever seem like it works out that way. Yeah, I always have this. Like, I'm excited not to be in a hotel room, <laughs> and... I have got better about, you know, just trying to schedule one or two people over at a time. And I kind of live removed from society, you know, in Cartersville. So a lot of times, you know, my players, bulk of them stay at my house. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, you know, and then you have some social time with them at night. It's not gone. So you kind of get to build relationships like that. But also, you know, they're, you're with them 24 hours a day when you do that. So, you know, it's good and bad. For sure. Talk about that a minute. You know, I do. A lot of the same, like when, if somebody comes to Mobile, man, it didn't like Mobile's the biggest city in the world. So a lot of times they'll stay with me or, you know, or the same thing over at Frederica, they stay. And don't you think that relationship, I mean, I think that relationship when you're teaching those guys is really important, getting to know them and how they tick and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I've done it forever. My wife built houses for years, counting her next career, but she built a little guest suite above our garage where it's kind of removed from the house but it's in the house and you're exactly right like it's the night time when you and also they find out you have other interests and they have other interests you know you just get to have that social time together where you're not hitting a golf ball you just learn a lot about kind of the personality i mean every guy I teach or girl now i teach quite a few girls now they all have different personalities and you kind of figure out what makes tick and it helps with communication when you're actually in the teaching bay. My favorite part about doing my job is literally when you start teaching somebody an unravelable puzzle. Mm-hmm. I mean that's the part that I'm in love with is you know, you get somebody that drives it bad and you get in there and you get to, you know, do the three D stuff and really make some changes. But literally after you work on somebody six or eight months, you're not ever doing a whole lot. You kinda identify it right at the beginning, you're just trying to shift the pattern that direction. Mm-hmm. And then it's just kind of more mundane, but 
Yeah, it's the beginning of teaching anybody that's exciting, and that's I'll get myself in trouble like that where <laughs> I've always wanted to see somebody up close. Because no matter people ask me all the time about golf swing on tour, besides the people you really teach, you really don't know that much about their patterns. I mean, right. you see the basic shape of it, but you know, until you get in there and shoot a bunch of videos, you know, and look at it and get to see what they're doing on a pressure mat or three D, you really because you really don't know what's going on in there. You mm-hmm. know? So it it really is the exciting part of like the discovery, but that can get you in trouble. You're like, oh yeah, man, I got time. Come on over, some guy you've never seen, and then you get over there and work on a little bit, and then then you know you got yourself another job going. So yeah, you you got plenty you got plenty of jobs going on. How did you get started teaching tour players? Like, I mean, what was your, you know, what, how did you end up on the tour? Uh, you know, I kind of lucked into it. Um, you know, Jason Bone, mm-hmm. a girl that's stepfather was uh, a member of the club. And when they got out of school, he was going to play mini tour golf. And I'm not sure what she was going to do, but like 96 or seven or something. And they moved into the Cagersville and I started teaching him. Well, I already taught a bunch of, but he was just a, like just out of school. Man. Yeah, he was that weird deal, that guy that won the million bucks in college. So right, I mean, he didn't he even did. really play at Alabama. I mean, he was a redshirt freshman, and he was actually, I think, getting ready to get in the lineup, and he won this million dollars okay. back then. That that they NCAA, I guess it was, made him decide, made him to decide whether he was going to take the money or play college golf. He did. So smart. his option was, you know, obviously he knew he wanted. to play professional golf well he could be his own sponsor for the mini tour so he took the money so he really had you know he really never got to play college golf mm-hmm. but when he got over there you know i've got a luckily enough he moved there and he was really good and he just kind of moved up through the ranks but that was my first guy and then i i had a couple other breaks that were really good like the best thing that ever happened to me was when i was out traveling around a little bit with bone and i was still 99 percent a club professional in the head head golf pro in the little club i got to be friends with rob waters and rob waters was working for cleveland and cleveland was purchased by shrixon mm-hmm. and they had two web trailers so they didn't need two trailers on the web for one company so they moved the additional trailer they had to my golf range to fit many tour guys and a few tour guys and it was like because i had enough credibility because i taught jason bone i had this pipeline of mini tour guys coming to the end of my range in Cartersville, georgia and I just picked up a few more of those, like Lee Williams, Will Claxton, and, you know, that's where I met Boo, and, I mean, that's where I met Bowditch. Bowditch was down mm-hmm. there, and probably the most important guy for my career was definitely Stephen Bowditch. He was the guy that, he was really struggling. He came out, and you know, and then, like, in 05, and then he was really struggling about nine or something, and I got helping him, and he played his way back on on tour, and and he and I were really close. Like the first year, he literally, I don't know how many days he stayed at my house, but I'd say a hundred to 60 days he stayed at my house. Cause he was a young guy kind of living in a condo and, and, uh, didn't have any real super deep relationships going. I think he might maybe had his girlfriend then, but he had plenty of time. So he just came up here and really worked on the game and stayed here a bunch. So, but he helped me immensely in introduced me to other people it gave me where i was not teaching just one pattern right you know he helped me with kind of how i designed my billing for the players he you know he was just so critical for me for helping my career that's interesting because i think mine was the same way as far as like 
like the business side of it, like I kind of learned, you know, I, I knew what you did when I got out there. You'd been out there long before me. But like you learn from players, you kind of bounce things off them. You know what other teachers do. That's the. It, it's interesting how you, you just said about Bodich. You know how it kind of helped you figure that out because it's an awkward thing when you first get out there. Yeah, it makes you nervous when you you know yeah. because you want to do it so bad, but you got to make enough money. You don't go broke while you're developing. You know some people to teach, and you know. And the problem is a lot of guys out there go out there and do it for nothing. You just can't afford to do it for nothing. They're trying to build credibility, but they're not really charging anybody anything. The next thing you're, you know, I mean, I never really add up what I spend per week because one week can be way cheaper than the next. Yeah, or more expensive. But I mean, we got to be spending fifteen hundred to. Two thousand bucks a week. You know, Easy, don't you think? Traveling hotels, so, you know, it's not a cheap endeavor to jump right into if you don't have a pretty good pocketbook before you start. You no, know? a hundred percent. And now, on your way up, as you were before you got there, I don't know that I've ever asked you this. Who were your teaching influences? Were did you have anybody? That- yeah, what's weird is I never really. I had this guy. I had a couple people that were important to me. One was George Killenhofer, and he was a golf machine guy in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And he's, and you know, I'm still kind of an elbow plane. And stuff right. There. He's the one that kind of introduced me to that. I got three or four lessons from George, but, you know, not really enough where I, I completely knew what was going on. And then uh, he had a guy that worked with him that they were partners in a venture. His name was Oswald Grotti, and he was important to me early on. He was a golf machine guy, too. And then, literally, with me, I was just, I owned the shop at this little country club, and I built my first bay. Once again, because my wife was building houses, she built this bay for me really cheap. So I had I had one of the first in-to-out bays yeah. in Georgia, probably 97 or something. And I just gave, I mean, I was booked, you know, every day of the week. I'd give four or five lessons literally every day of the week. And I literally just gave so many lessons. I think I just kind of figured it out, you know. And then was, I was say that I had evolutions in my teaching, you know, obviously video was the first and you have track man that teaches you a lot that you didn't know and then I've got the pressure man that teaches stuff you don't know. Then you got the you know, the three D thing I've had about three years that's been super beneficial and kind of what the body does and you know, and then I've been blessed to teach I mean, I don't know if anybody's taught more tour guys recently than I have. Doubtful. And you know, then you get all that data and you kind of start seeing different patterns and you know, how you match it up. And I don't know, I've just kind of been lucky in that aspect. How has what you teach changed over, you know, since like when you first started uh, going out there and with Bowditch and, and I always think about like what, what a bad teacher I really was <laughs> back then. You know what I mean? Do you ever think like that? Like, yeah. Oh my God. Like, I was an idiot. Yeah. Know? I look back on stuff and I'm like shocked. I didn't get sued for malpractice and stuff. I, mean, <laughs> I just think about like the evolution of, I mean, the 3d thing that I've been doing for the last three years is really what, what taught me the most kind of in help. I used to teach just straight kind of playing club face stuff. Mm-hmm. And now literally because, you know, the guys you and I teach, but most of them show up. The club's going around them in a pretty good circle. Right. You know? mm-hmm. It's now it's really all pelvis spine pressure, kind of what the knees are doing, the sternum, you know, where it is at the strike. So that part's evolved so much. I mean, it, part of what I did before the planey stuff where I had clean, hey, I'm pretty good about cleaning somebody's plane up, making their club face look decent. I see why that works. But like also, I mean, you've been there. 
you get somebody and it goes around them pretty good, and you're like, man, that looks really good, but it's, they don't play any good. They have foul <laughs> balls in there. So that's where this all this pelvis spine pressure stuff, learning how to sync up that club going around them has been so beneficial. So, so you use, for the 3D, you use gears, correct? And I use gears, yeah. And then, and then I mean, for the pressure, do you use swing catalysts? Is that I use a swing catalyst. It's probably not the best. I mean, those dual plates are probably the best. I was on the phone with uh, uh, who was I on the phone with the other day for an hour talking about the dual plate. You think about it, everybody knows him. But that just the swing cap plate's great. It's easy for the player to understand. Yeah, and it kind of gives you an idea of what's going on. You know, it's like everything you bought technology, you get into it, and you think, man, this is a deal, and you kind of fall in love with it. And, you do use it a bunch, and then, you know, and then you got to get stuck, and you got to get this part. And then once you realize it's all the big pie there, and the pressure is a little important, the body's a little important, the plane's a little, it's all a little bit of all of it. Right. Just kind of blending it all together. Just curious, and I mean, this is as much for me. I like to pick your brain, and I've yeah. shown you plenty of videos in airports <laughs> along, you know. But, uh, you know, it, has the 3D helped you teach different styles of players? A hundred percent. I mean, I'm telling you, the, the 3D is cool in two aspects. You get somebody in there that you've never taught before, and then yeah, I'm talking about, you know, a tour guy with this work on anybody. You get somebody in there you've never taught before and they're struggling, you throw them on there, there's going to be some outliers in what their body does. So you look at that and that gives you a ton of information. The second phase where the 3D is so important is you get some guy that's striping it. Like, for instance, Russell Henley, mm-hmm. I taught him like in 15 or something. He played, was playing real well, 15, 16 or something like that. And I like, taught him a few years, but like all my guys, I don't burn bridges with players that, that you know, don't use many more needless say fire me or whatever. I don't care. There's there's always somebody else coming that you're gonna help and it gives you a chance to build a new relationship. But I'm always stay really close to all the guys I used to teach too. It's just I'm just not I don't have that ego issue, you know? I mean, yeah. but Russell had been he's hitting it pretty good, but he'd lost a bunch of club at speed. So and he'd had some back issues. Like he'd had some pressure in his mid back, so I was talking to him somewhere, and I'm like, Russell, y'all to just ride up and jump on this 3D because I had a gears capture from when he was really driving it good, yeah, and hitting it far. And he came up yesterday, and we got on there and spent two hours. And I mean, it was obvious like how his pattern was similar, but it changed a bunch, and like what his left knee was doing really, and where his spine was in change of direction. And, I mean, we just made a couple slight adjustments to him, kind of put him back where he was, which I would have never – I kind of saw it on video, but I wouldn't know what to tell him to do. And then his club head speed started ramping right back up, and he said he didn't feel the pressure in the middle of his back. And That's all he awesome. kind of did was put him back where he was. So it's like Hudson Swafford, he's hitting it really well now. He came up a couple weeks ago just because he was striping. And I said, just come up here and let me get a 3D capture so we have it for down the road. Mm-hmm. And if we get, when we get lost here, we'll know where to put you back in. Like, you know, I taught Brendan Todd back in the day. I would have killed to have some captures of him back when he was really playing well. Right. And then we tried to shift his pattern around a little bit because he wanted to hit it farther and kind of be able to hit some high draws and stuff. And that just didn't work for him and kind of gave him the yips. Instead. And 
it'd been great to have that information to go, hey, just do this and match it back up because you can match them right back up. It's that to me when you're teaching tour guys and you got a guy playing good, like I captured Matt every not long ago when he when he swing that really good, and I've got that in the memory bank for when he gets off, you know. Yeah, I, I said to somebody the other day that I, one of the biggest things that, you know, like I didn't have very much technology at that point. Shit, I couldn't afford it, <laughs> you know. But, like, I wish I'd have had more stuff saved in data from, like, when Smiley, when I was working with Smiley, and he played great oh, that 18 fun, months, man. you know. I mean, wouldn't you love to have that capture, like, right when Smiley was in the tool like, in that area? And, yeah, and, like, Augusta, you know, it, you know when he played. It wasn't, it wasn't you, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I'm telling the right thing, I mean, you know, you know, and, and as you know, obviously we're, you, you know, and it, it's interesting and I, you've been through it as a teacher, like then you get back and you start working and you're trying to sift back through and find ways to get it back to that. And it's, I mean, it's challenging. I mean, it's uh rewarding, like he's starting to play b- better again. So it makes you, you know, you, you feel like you're doing something, but like, it would be so much easier if you had all that data. I mean, it wouldn't have been a year search or whatever. Well, it's like with Russell, what would have taken if we'd have ever stumbled on it? I mean, because it was so microscopic, I mean, it took, you know, literally 10 minutes after he hit two or three balls, we looked at the gears capture and we're like, okay, this is what's the difference. You know, I mean, it just accelerates the process so much and just makes it so much easier. And, you know, I mean, the thing with me is I'm only trying to teach. The thing that I've learned from the 3D is that the bulk of the tour guys, like 90, I mean, I've captured a lot of PJ Tour players and LPJ players. They all literally do the same thing within parameters. Right. What I mean by that mm-hmm. is they all kind of tilt their pelvis, you know, get the right side, right-handed golfers, get the right side of the pelvis up high. They shift over on top of it, and then they push the left side of the pelvis up and out of the ground. If they're draw biased, their spine's more right bent sooner and gets more right bent at impact. If they're fade biased, they're spine is more neutral to even target side and change the direction and then get less right bent at touch. But you can kind of, I mean, left knee, right knee, pelvis, where the spine is, I mean, it's just not that, it's not that hard when you got that 3D stuff just to watch and see where a guy's off, you know? Right, right. Because I agree, they all fall. I mean, like all those guys are good. And I mean, yeah. most of the time somebody comes to you, they're not super far out of whack. I mean, it's just yeah. figuring the figuring the deal out. I mean, the bulk of the time a tour guy shows up, they've got they've got too big of a mess, mm-hmm. you know. And you're just trying to just kind of help the big mess, you know. Everybody has different patterns and hits different shapes. But what are some of like the things? What are some of your preferences or things that like when you see a golf swing that you really like? What are those things that you really like in a golf swing? The biggest thing I like now is like in change of direction when the club when the left arm gets past parallel on the back swing. And the lead arm's climbing, you know, it's climbing up past parallel. That right in there, they start shifting to the left side, and the low point of the left shoulder works down and forward, and they get over on top of it. Like, it just gives you tons of club face stability. Mm-hmm. And what you don't like is when you get, like, some college girl or boy in there, and they swing back and get behind it, and then their left shoulder goes shooting straight up to the sky, yes. and their back right bent way behind it. That's what I really dislike. And, you know, somebody shifts over. It's where you look at a guy like Tom Hogue. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, his arm swing around him like the club's not as tight as a lot of tour guys. But his shifting pattern on top of it's incredible how he slides over on top of it. And the guy's a phenomenal iron player. So it shows you that, like, 
sometimes where when I was younger, I was so consumed with playing because I wouldn't have been super in love with, with Hoagie's playing whenever I was a younger instructor. But now I look at him, I just see how well he gets over on top of it and standing on top of it at the strike. And I'm in love with that. And that trumps the arms, the the club going around him that's not as quavy pretty as like Adam Scott. You know? Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, so you like the, the ability to shift and get on top of it and cover it, you know, kind of more than yeah. – I mean, that's – yeah, I, I think we've talked before. I think we teach some similar – I mean, I, in my perfect world, that's what I'd love them all to be able to do, you know. I mean, I, the guy that I use is the guy you teach, and I'm friends with him, and yep. he's one of the best guys around is that Lucas Glover. And, I mean, he's a guy – like, if Lucas has got a stalker on the PJ Tour rank, <laughs> me, you know. <laughs> Like he's he's hitting balls. I'm always and I'm friends with Lucas. He's oh, yeah. here, but I'm you know I don't try to bother him when he's hitting. But he's hitting beside one of my guys. I'm my guy thinks I'm shooting a video of him. I'm shooting one of Lucas. You know, yeah. That guy loads it, moves over on it, and thumps it better than anybody on tour. You know, that's why we're you know and not to get into teaching debates, but where people don't like lag. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we've talked about that before. I'm like. I mean, everybody that really thumps it, that really hits it good, lags the shit out of it. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's like, can you lag it to get it out of there? You know, Boo Weekly's guy teaches it yeah. the best with lag, and you know, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's too much of anything. What I always try to tell people, and sooner, sooner people figure that out, is there's not one golf swing that's made for every shot. There's everybody's golf swing has. Strength. Like a guy that lags at a bunch probably is not going to be the guy that hits a three iron out of a bunker face, mm-hmm. big high bunker face, and hits it 120 feet in the air and lands it on a green. It's not what they are, but they're going to hit every seven, eight, nine, six iron on the green, you know, because mm-hmm. they thump it and have so much face control. It's just give and take, you know. A lot of times the super laggy guys aren't the best chippers because they can't unload it, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Some of them can pull it off, but, you know, it's give and take. And, you know, I never try to try to teach somebody. You know, I never I always teach them to their strengths. I'm never trying to remove stuff from them that I think makes them really good at one thing to make them a little bit better at something they're not as good at. If that makes sense, I'm yeah. Trying to trying to teach them to their strengths and then play around their weaknesses really more than anything. Who's your favorite golf swing out there to watch? Probably Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite? I mean, he, and you know, I mean, I love Lucas. He's such a great uh-huh. guy, man. He's the salt of the earth. Just a country boy, you know. And he's good to bum dip off of. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, he's just a great guy. To, <laughs> you know, I, I've enjoyed it too because he's been so good with like my young guys as they come ah, up too. Yeah, man, I he's a different bird. Like he's this kind of redneck that reads a hundred bucks a year. Man, he's <laughs> he's a smart guy that. You know, people, unless you really get to know them, don't really know what the whole package is there. No question. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of golf swings I like on tour. I always like Charlie Hoffman's golf Mm -hmm. swing. Seems really simple. And, you know, I mean, I like Harold Werner's golf swing, which Harold, I teach him. It's really cool. I mean, Boo, obviously, is. I told people years ago before I taught Boo, if there was a guy I'd ever wanted to teach, it'd be Boo Weekly. No, probably 10 years now. So never get tired of watching it. You know, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's I mean, man, how solid does he hit it every? Oh my time? God, I've I've sat on the back of the range in Houston with him this year, and it's a joke, man. When he gets it, when he gets it where he wants it, I mean, it's a joke. He yeah. just, just doesn't hit it offline. I mean, it's as close to a machine, yeah, 
when a guy like Boo gets off, okay, like, you know, because it's like to me, it always looks solid, right? Yeah. And what does it happen? Like, how how does a guy that's like a machine get off? You know, it's it's the problem. The problem with guys like that, you probably wear this, Lucas, they're way harder to work on somebody that's loose. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to see what part's not working. You know what I mean? Yeah. And most of the time with a guy like Boo, either he's got too steep, like he thumps down on it. And Boo hits push draws, but they're all attack angle draws. Like so, his swing direction on a track man would be relatively zeroed out, but mm-hmm. he's seven or eight down. So all the all the right to left comes from the down. Mm-hmm. And then if he gets too down, then it gets to be a problem. So a lot of times, a lot of a lot of what we're doing is just try to and shallowing out Boo is taking it from ten to seven. Yeah, you know? it's not making it's it full. Not, yeah, it's not that. I always laugh when I look at that, and I've got the the table, the chart up in my bay, the TrackMan average thing they put out, and they need to update that thing. But the one they put out ten years ago or whatever. Yeah, I mean, and the, why I say that is because about five or six years ago, I was looking at that chart, and you know, it has all those angle attacks that are real shallow. Tour guys, and um, and I had two guys in the top ten total ball strike. Year. And I knew they were both with a six iron. They were both way more like six or seven down to five down. No, mm-hmm. significantly more down than the chart says. So I just I put a piece of paper in my and I just walked up and down the range uh, over the next month or so and found the top ten guys on the list and asked them how down they were with their six iron. And everybody on that list except for Duffner was was more down than the tour average. Hmm. So it just kind of told me that, like, guys that hit it really good are really good. And if you're at the top of that list, you're probably a really good iron player. Right. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. If you're on that total ball striking list. So this tells me the guys lag it and thump down on it way more than, like, what they think the average guy is. A lot of times, and you see this too, man, when you go range to range, mm-hmm. there's variations and everybody, it'll show up across the board. You'll show up somewhere and everybody's two or three more down. It's the turf condition, you know, or yep. how soft the ground is, or I don't know what it is, but I'll get weak. I'm like, okay, everybody's way more down this week than they were the other week you know, on this range. What about driver attack angles? What do you what do you see? You know, honestly, I like my guys to be around level. One Me down, too. one up. You know, I've got guys that hit up on it. Kirk, kind of two or three up and two or three to the right. Most of my guys are pretty level. You know, I just... Like, never, I don't think they never, swing up at it. I don't. Do you think that the people swing up at it as much out there? The real nah, well, they, as they people think. It. I mean, they when they started collecting that data on. I think the average launch. Of the, I was talking to one of the trackman guys one time. You know, they collect the data from the range and they get all that stuff from the golf course. Yeah, I know the launch goes down to like nine degrees on the golf course for the average tour guy. And I mean, if you you get a club rep over there and a the guy's launching at nine degrees, they're going to build up some driver and make it go up in the world. And you know this as well as I do. <laughs> There's nothing harder in the world than to build a driver for a tour player on the on a range. Because how many times have you had one built and it all matches up and it's a ten degree ten launch, twenty three hundred spin, it's doing just what they want it to do, and they take it out on the golf course and play two holes with it and they hate it all the time. I mean, it literally it's. Fitting tour guys on the driving range is literally worthless. Whatever they with a bunch of players, those shot shapes and those alleyways, they start whacking down on it more, and you know, and their speed goes up. The biggest thing with best players in the world is you just their speed's going up on the golf course, man. 
Oh, for sure. Which, you know, the friction goes up, the spin goes up, and then that thing that looked perfect on the driving range is just worthless. Oh, <laughs> no doubt. I mean, it's hard, too. And and as you know, I mean, it, I mean those guys are constantly if, – if a guy says he wants to try a driver, I mean, it's a cluster. I mean, Oh, my God. It's, I mean, people – I mean, I tell people half the time, half my job's just to get my guys not to do something stupid. Yeah. No. You know, I mean, because they're, you know, they're giving stuff away out there fast. They give it away, and you're doing a driver fitting. You got, you know, you got one shaft guy on one side of you and one shaft guy on the other side of you. Some guys use one manufacturer's shafts for a long time, and they seem trying something else, so they come running up and get in the middle of it. I mean, it's it's something. It's a zoo out there. It's a zoo. (laughs) (laughs) Makes you ready for January, doesn't it, Scott? Yeah. (laughs) Can't wait. Scotty, this has been awesome. Appreciate you taking the time. First, yeah. congratulations on the, on the adoption. Oh, uh, yeah, that was this morning, man. We went down there and signed Gracie up to be a Hamilton for the rest of her life. So. She didn't know what she's getting into, does she? Ooh, she's got she's got her hands full, Buck. <laughs> uh, you're one of the best. Hey, I not only for sitting in, but all the times that you've looked at video for me and some advice and stuff, oh, I appreciate man, I, it, bud. I'm always trying to learn something myself, that's for sure. The best, one of the best things I tell people about being a teacher on the PJ Tour is it's not like the internet where everybody hates on everybody. 100%. Honestly, we're all friends out there, and everybody knows how complex it is at that level. And I've asked Foley, I've asked you, I've asked Tillery, I asked BJ Trollio, I asked people all that, what do you see in this? What would you do with this? Like, because I'm, I'm trying to get some information from one of these other smart guys to help me out, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's this is a different be a story for a different podcast. But the internet stuff, I hate. I hate that. And like, oh, yeah, that I love the stuff that so you weird. put. I love the stuff that you put out there on social media. You know, and you you, you give a little tip about uh, a little insight into what you do. And, and I don't do it very much because I just get sick of like somebody who's never taught anybody in the entire world has a free shot at you, and then yeah, you got to yeah. sit there and deal with some moron. I don't even pay attention to it. I mean, I can't put a video of Harold Warner up there, and they don't want to know why his right foot drags up like it does. I'm like, I used to say he's got so much forward lean that for him to get it airborne, he's going to back pressure his right foot. You know yeah. I mean? And I can only tell him so many times, and i just given up on it, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done awesome with Harold. I mean, and Harold's one of the great guys out there, too. Ah, I mean, fantastic, man. His glass is half full. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome stuff. Scotty, thanks again. Appreciate it. I'll see you out there in Palm Springs, buddy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. There's one thing if you know about me, if you've listened to the Dew Sweepers, you've come to listen to me talk, 
is you know I'm big on loyalty. We give 100% here at the Dew Sweepers. We put a lot of emotional investment into everything we do with every one of our players. And the same can be said for our partners and the folks that have been with us for the long haul and help the Dew Sweepers, help our juniors, help us get to our tour players. And so I want to give a special thanks to our sponsors. Our sponsors are, first and foremost, Buick and our local Buick dealers here around the Southeast, Shrixon Cleveland Golf, who've been with me for over a dozen years, and their belief and support of what we do here with the Dew Sweepers. And lastly, the folks at Vineyard Vines. The folks at Vineyard Vines love what we do with junior golf. They support us on the road. There isn't a better family or group of people that are going to help us look our best, play our best, and have more fun than the folks at Vineyard Vines. So special thanks to our sponsors. Please support those as you get the opportunity. And for more information about any of those, check us out at dewsweepersgolf.com, or you can always check me out on Instagram at the Dewsweeper.